Another week of my podcast, The Stephen Sully Study. As everybody knows, I like to study very successful individuals, go-getters, athletes, entrepreneurs, etc. Next guest, John Solarco. Um, used to be a former premiership footballer, a pro. Played for the likes of Crystal Palace, Fulham, etc. And now you're um, you, you talk on TalkSport. Um, you're a uh, affiliate to Sky Sports, and you've got a few other things in the pipeline, including your own podcast. So, anyway, love to talk to you about the past, present, and also the future. Yep. Welcome on board the podcast, John, and thank you for your time. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Cool. So, I gave you a bit of a brief introduction to uh, to what we do here at Woodbury House. I spoke to you about the Godfather Street Art, Richard Hamilton. I know you haven't got a background in art, but the first question I'd like to ask on my guests coming in here, looking at Hamilton's work, and I explained to you that Banksy got his inspiration from Richard Hamilton. What was your first initial reaction, thought, view of the story I just told you and also Hamilton's work? Incredible story. I think you, in lockdown, I watched a few documentaries on on artists and the famous artists, and I think the classic thing you said was, you know, Van Gogh was you know, pretty poor most of his life. And then he dies and, you know, his art is, you know, just goes through the roof and it becomes more worthwhile. And it's a shame that they do have to pass away to get the recognition, but that is the art world, isn't it? And it's just incredible. And I think as as a young footballer, you know, it's a shame really, because one of the things you, 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 you go into football very early and you're on that treadmill. So you, you don't really get much of an education. You might do O-level GCSEs, but you don't go on to do A-levels and, and degrees. And, and then, and it's a very cosseted world. It's a very closed world. So you don't really get to really see the arts and you don't really get to experience uh, a lot of the world. Um, and it's a shame really, but I think to, you know, if people do open their eyes and you do lucky to have people around you, that can show you and that world. There, there is such a massive world and a lot of players, you know, only find out once they finish football that there's this whole massive world of music and art and film and uh, and it's incredible. And other things, you know, like horses might get into horse racing mm. um, and acting and singing and, you know, sort of poetry. So it, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I've you know, little bit of art. We, we've got a few Fabian Perez pieces and I know, yeah, I know and, artists. Yeah. Really good. My, my miss, yeah. My missus loves, you know, so, so I tended to buy her art, you know, sort of, but it depends what world you live in. As you say, as a guy, you probably buy <coughs> watches, shoes, mm. um, cars, and then art, but art, art is, is magical really. I mean, the first time you sort of really go to a, a gallery and, 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 pay attention and have a look it's mesmerizing and it's such a world and it and it really does because I never understood it you know when I was a kid or mm. I was in football I didn't understand how pieces could go so much and why people would but then once you start do understand it and getting into it arts it, it becomes a passion doesn't it it really does get into your soul it's a bit like music it's that lovely good piece of art and you you start paying attention to what kind of art you like and obviously with someone like Banksy making it really famous and popular i can understand why that street art is so famous and obviously listening to the story of the guys is is incredible so um, as i mentioned to you uh, earlier when we were sitting next door we published a book for richard hamilton so woodbury house uh, along with a few other people over the years have published books for hamilton but i've got to say and i'm not just saying it i think ours is the best it really Mm. is very in-depth we've done a lot of study a lot of homework and we've got the knowledge and experience 
And in that book, I, I've got a, a quote, which is, you know, your, your taste in art is shaped by your education. And I do honestly believe that. I could show one person an image and they have a view on it, a gut view. So, yeah, yeah I like that, or I don't really like that, or it's scary, or it's cool. But the moment I give you a backstory and educate you on the movement of street art and the genre of it and the, the affiliates and banks here, et cetera, and then I show you a very similar version, you'll have a completely different take on it. And I think, yeah. I think just uh, touching on what you said there, Art over the years has evolved in regards to like the demographic. Um, it used just to be the big art collectors and it was kind of a, I don't know, a private uh, uh, private man's kind of club almost. Yeah. Like you couldn't get into it unless you were welcomed in. But now you've got investors, you've got collectors, you've got fanatics. And I think with the lights of coronavirus lockdown being imposed, it's decimated the banks. Unfortunately, we're in uncertain times where Russia's invading mm. Ukraine, uncertain times, and your more conventional areas are being decimated. So what people are now doing, they're looking for tangible asset classes, such as your, your nice watches. I mean, I even heard that Rolex watches outperformed the stock market in the last couple of years, which is saying something. Yeah. And the art market, including specifically Richard Hamilton, people using it as a flight to safety and store their money. And I think if you are a foot footballer earning the kind of money they're earning today, yep. it's something nice to have up on the wall. It's nice to have the bragging rights. You know, I own that. That's under grand or that's a million pounds. Um, but also it's a place that if times do get tough five years from now, 10 years from now, you know that your money is appreciating year on year out. Yeah. So that's why I think a lot of people are buying it now. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people have discovered art, have come into it. As I say, I think it might have been a slightly more elitist thing, uh, but people are making money now. I think people of all kind, walks of life are making really good money. And they, they there's a lot of wealthy people out there and art is just a natural progression. I think now it's opened up. It really is sad that a lot of art is not really ever shown and mm -hmm. seen as stored away, as you say, because they're so valuable. But a lot more people are beginning to get their art to galleries and getting it on show and so that people can, can experience them. People can, you can share them with people. So, and it is wonderful. I think, you know, it's that education of getting into things like art and, and certainly something that should be more promoted within younger footballers, the arts, and especially, you know, sort of investing in the right things and, and things you can enjoy every day. So it is, it is fantastic. But obviously, look, Back in our day, we, we didn't earn the kind of money to be able to get involved with the kind of, you know, level of art that you'll get in London. You know, it's just, but you can go and enjoy museums, but enjoy, you know, lesser pieces. Yeah. Uh, but have them up for a reason. It's not, you know, with the days of just buying something, but go and find something you like and why you like it. And the backstories are saying it becomes more of a part of you that yeah. you've got a piece so a, it becomes a talking point you know especially over when you've got friends over family over and they say what's that about yeah and then you can go and do you know what as you have you as you start to describe not necessarily the piece maybe but more so the artist and the background and the genre yeah you kind of feel good about it you know yeah. you're you're you showing you make yourself sound really educated you know yeah no it's incredible i mean obviously with the fabian thing obviously he grew up in a brothel with his mom and it shaped and you know that what he paints and how he paints and obviously his father and, and as you say, you know, the pieces we've got are certainly, you know, people will stop and say, what, what, you know, what, what do you see? And everyone might see something slightly different. You yeah. know, there's a piece with his dad and he's at the bar and everyone's got their backs to him. 
and you know, you sort of start with, has he turned his back on the world? Has everyone turned their back on him? Or is he, you know, what's going on? He's just not interested in whatever they're looking at. What is going on? But yeah. And, you know, he does one, you know, Marcus is a lovely little piece. Um, and it's a guy just in contemplation. You know, what is he thinking? Where, you know, what's happened? Um, it's, it's brilliant. And it's that backstory and then whatever you read into that. And everyone usually sees something different. So it's... Uh, it is, uh, it is, that's why it's so special. Well, what you just described there is exactly what art should do first and foremost. It should give a reaction, it should provoke some thoughts and then that good conversation off the back end of it, whether you support the artist and what they stand for or not, yeah. the conversations then, I think that's really, really healthy. Um, I obviously want to talk, talk to you about the obvious, which is your football <laughs> career, you know, getting into it. Was it a foregone conclusion that you're going to be an athlete? Was there other twists in your life? But before I do, just because we're talking about investing, um, I've always been taught by my dad. He said, look, look at successful people and try and copy some of what they do. Because mm. if you do kind of what they do, you're going to get the same results, if not better. And obviously, you know, yourself being on TV, um, I'd like to ask you, like, what do you typically invest into? Is it more like property? Is it more bank-based stuff? What, what, what kind of things do you normally go for? Yeah, so I'm a little bit more old school. So it was all about property, get on the property ladder, um, got into property development, you know, just listening and, 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 and you find you buy a house, you do a house art and then you think actually someone offers you a bit of land. And, and to be fair, it is really that conversation, you know, someone will come up to you and say, look, I've got a bit of land here. Do you want to put a bit of money into it? I'll build it. We'll sell it. And that's how I got into it. So that was really cool. And you still do um, that now? Yeah. So, I mean, it got really, you know, it, it got decent. Um, I got hit in the crash 2008 because I had too much in property. I had everything, really. I think I had about 20, 20 by to lets. And I had two, 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 three big pieces of land and obviously my own house. So, you know, it kind of like, you know, if you've, if you've got, you know, 10 million pounds worth of property and you owe the bank 5 million on it, and all of a sudden property crashes, then it's only worth seven million and you owe the bank and then the bank are like getting a bit jittery and nervous and especially you've got to make the payments and then, you know, a lot of people fall foul where the banks do foreclose on it and say, you know, you get to a position where they want their money back um, and you can't just keep rolling it on. You've either got to build it, you get your planning, selling it and if you're struggling to sell it, it just all becomes a nightmare. So... You know, that, that big crash in 2008 hurt a lot of people. A lot of people made a lot of money after it, but a lot of people lost a lot of money. So as you saying, it same thing can happen in art. There's a war. If you've got your money in crypto or your money in shares, shares are the classic. You know, you, you go and buy shares, doing great. And then your portfolio crashes. And you know, I remember tech stocks was good. We all used to, you know, you get home in the afternoon, say what the football is doing in the afternoon. You know, some yeah. go to the bookies. <laughs> can't play golf you know sometimes I used to have a you know go and look at shares go and look at stocks um now I talk to people they're talking about NFTs they're looking at you know with cricketers rugby players football players you know they're looking at shares NFTs looking at a bit of property there's so many different things you can get into but again it's how much time you want to invest in reading up and doing your homework and making sure you've got people around you advising you um on asking is that right it's a good lawyer good accountant um, and having good people around you just to sound things out, whether it's art, whether it's property, whether it's shares, you know, whatever it is, um, is just get as much knowledge about it as possible for committing and, and 
you know, always sleep on a decision, you know, don't, don't go rushing into stuff. But, you know, cars, a lot of guys collecting, you know, cars, classic cars are, you know, you see the lads now, they're going, you know, Romans up the road and then go and buy an Aston Martin, you know, a Lamborghini. Or, but if you actually take some time into actually looking at, if you buy the right Aston, if you buy the right Ferrari, you buy the right uh, classic car, they'll actually make money. You know, and and again, it's just looking at it in the right way and getting the right advice. So, you know, cars are very interesting to most guys, but actually, you know, if you buy the right 911, you know, you're going to make money rather than lose money on it. You know, yeah. I just go to them. Oh, I want one of those because they look good. You know, like <clears throat> Deli Alley here, you know, he drove up to Everton in a Rolls Royce. You know, he's probably talking 300 grand. And you're thinking, why is it... 26-year-old driving an old man's Rolls-Royce and why are you taking it to training? You know, it's like, come on. It's like, <laughs> but a lot of times, you know, these young lads uh, have got a lot of money and they just don't really think, you know, and they don't, it's a working man's game. And, you know, I just, I, I sometimes, you know, just, but I, I'm sounding old now. I think anyone who's old school will go, hey, why are you doing that? And then people that you hear younger people going, well, it's up to him if he wants to take it. It's just they've missed the point of it's a working man's game and, you know, it's your first day at training. Just take the Range Rover. Take, you know, <laughs> just take a normal car. Just blend in. Just get people, instead of, you know, it's just all this flash and bling, you know, driving around. And it doesn't really make sense. But I always thought if there's one set of people who could drive any car, like a just a normal car, we'll be footballers. Do you know what I mean? Because people are like, oh, my God, you know, that's Wilfred Zahara over there. Well, that's Harry Kane. He doesn't need to be, do you know what I mean? He doesn't need yeah. to be in a Bentley Continental. Um, he could actually just be like, I'll just try it. And I, I used to think it was always quite nice just to have a really normal car and just blend in and not draw too much attention all the time. I don't know. So, but obviously the game's changed slightly, but. I want to um, touch on that. But before I do, I want to go back to the 2008 credit crunch and banking crisis, because I remember it very well. I was in financial um, investments uh, promoting them, and 2007 I earned a really in that in that year I earned a really good money, and then 2008 came, and then my mum and dad were saying to me, "Look, you're in financial products, you're doing it predominantly over the telephone, and there's a banking crisis, there's a credit crunch. You, you better start thinking about maybe shifting careers." And I I end up changing my sales presentation, and I made it actually worked for me rather than mm. against me and I doubled my income within a year okay. and, I re- and I remember a lot of people around me selling the same products were actually couldn't get their head around it and were, they, they were actually losing more money mm. and I actually span it on its head so I, I remember that time very very well and you touched on that in that time in those certain times including coronavirus and even right now with yeah. the conflict with Russia and Ukraine there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers yeah. and it's all about your education again it's about how ballsy you are sometimes, yeah. and it's all also about your own belief. What was the main thing that you learned in the 2008 banking crisis and credit crunch? Well, the biggest thing to start off with is don't have all your eggs in one basket was it was basically it. And, uh, you know, it was kind of crazy, really. So for a long time, um, it was, that, it was it, it'd been coming about 10 years, really. People were saying property's too high, it's going to crash, and they're saying there isn't enough property as it is, you know, so, you know, the demand was outstripping what was what, what was being built. So I was thinking it had to keep going, it had to be, and obviously what happened is was, it, it was the way they lent money and the people they lent money to and the, and the way they lent it 
crashed the banking system, which was crazy, really. And it wasn't about demand and product. It was really um, irresponsible lending that, that, that brought the market down. But, you know, the backstory to that was obviously, you asked me, I mean, I, I started off, you know, my dad died when I was five. So, you know, got this story. I've just started writing my book, actually. I've, 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 I used to think, John, have you written a book? So you should write a book. I'm like, well, who wants to listen to my story? And, you know, I sort of thought about it. And, and then you hear other people write their stories. So I want to do a different kind of book. So, you know, my mum, my dad was here studying, doing his master's in Nigeria. Met my mum. You know, they went off to Nigeria, had five kids. He died in a car accident. And then she brought us back to England. Um, so, you know, the, the, the massive contrast and the problem was um, she, she, she couldn't get the money out because we were quite wealthy there. And she struggled to get the money. But she had a friend who worked in the government and he was entrusted with some nice amount of money to bring out for us. Mm. But he buggered off to America with it. So I'd like to catch up with that guy one day. I'm gonna... So we basically arrived here penniless. You know, it was, you know, got a council house. And, you know, so I sort of grew up, not, I suppose not angry, but motivated. I was just like, I'm going to make something myself. I'm going to do something. I, I'm better than this. So there was always this ambition. There was always drive. And I used to love sport. My mum was a teacher. She was my headmistress back in Nigeria, actually. And um, she used to have to give me the cane <laughs> when I was naughty. But she was a school teacher. So it was always about your, your schoolwork. I mean, my two older brothers went to grammar school and they were quite bright. And I just didn't pay. I, I wasn't interested in schoolwork, really. I just wanted to play sport. Um, so, you know, I played cricket for Kent, played rugby, I was athletics, you know, football. So I just played all sports, just loved it. And... Um, and it's actually a crazy story. Just, you know, we never dreamt of being a footballer, being a, a film, you know, being in music or, or having those kind of ambitions like you. I, I want to join the SAS, the Marines, or I want to be in the RAF. But they came and did a presentation one day and you needed like, um, you needed, uh, what do you call it? Computer science. You needed your maths and your physics. And I was like, well, that's not going to happen. Yeah, that's not. 2020 vision and whatever. Yeah. So once they started talking about physics and maths and computers, I was like, no, it's not going to happen. So then it was SAS, Marines. And uh, then I got picked up by Palace and it, it, it's incredible. I mean, the, the guy, the, my manager at the time, I was playing for the year above because I was like banging in loads of goals for, for my age group. And he said, you're too good. Come and play for my age group a year up. And I was still scoring. And he's the one that he actually wrote to Palace and they sent a scout down. And then next minute, I'm I'm playing at Palace, and you know I'm in, you know embarking on this career, which is just absolutely surreal. And then you know sort of by the time 21, you're playing the FA Cup finals, 22 England. Um, it's just it's you know crazy. But I think at every, I think every step, I think the important thing for anyone, and I'd always say, is dare to dream, dare to dream. I'll tell the kids, have a dream, be ambitious. Why not you? Why can't it happen to you if you're prepared to work hard enough and put the time in the effort? Do you know what I mean? If you're going to train hard and be dedicated and go that extra yard, you can succeed. And the thing is, daring to dream and working hard is you, you, you might not touch the stars, you might not play in the Premier League, but you'll end up somewhere that's a hell of a lot better than if you didn't have that dream, you didn't have that ambition, you didn't have that drive. And it's something you can't give people, you can't, but you can try and help people. And you can set, you know, you can give them little um, pointers and little bits of help. And and most people, it's the right place at the right time. If you get the right information at the right time, you know, mixing with the right people at the right time, not the wrong people. You know, there's a lot of things that can happen in life. And 
And the big, the thing I'd always say, it's not about making mistakes and it's not about getting knocked down. It really is about learning from them and getting up and going again. So for most of us, we are going to fail. And we, but we've got to have the metal, the, the, the strength to try again, to keep trying. And that is, you know, a lot of kids, you know, a lot of kids. I, I coached the under 13s and under 16s at Palace. And a lot of those kids were so disillusioned when you let them go. And I'd say to them, look, you, you're a good player, but you need to keep on the ladder. We can only take three or four. We, you, I've got to let 10 go. But you can go somewhere else and be a player. You can come, you can go, but you've got to push. You've got to want this. You've got to fight for it. Um, and they don't. They give up. They just quit. And it, and then you're like, that's the sad part. Um, not everyone can make it. It's right place, right time. Bit of luck, whatever it is, rubber the green. But look, if you work hard enough, you make your own luck. You make your own rubber the green. You know, you, you kind of like, you can knock doors down. Sometimes you've got to knock two or three doors down, you know. Mm. It takes, sometimes the journey's longer and it's more satisfying when it, it's longer. And uh, But yeah, you know, it, it's crazy. And sport is so cutthroat. It's so ruthless. Football mm. is so, you know, when you're in that dressing room, you've got 30 guys who just want to play. You, you know, it's, it's a game. Uh, it's a team game played by individuals. So the mentality of it, the psychology of it is so tough. And the, and the, and the levels of, you know, fitness and you know your body's got to work you know just be lucky with injuries then you've got to be in the right team but you've got to push and you've you've, you've got to be strong you know but you've got to be strong in life and, and the people who succeed in life are the ones that are strong-minded and prepared to push and endure and and, and you know whenever you're success, successful and good at something people go aren't you lucky and you go oh it's funny enough the, the harder I work the luckier I got you know the, the, the Gary Player saying so you know that's why you know things like boxing is so good that's why sport is so important for kids to play sport because you learn those principles you learn certain mentalities that should make you stronger being dedicated looking at how you train how you eat how you think about the game and start interacting you know thinking about being successful and those kind of principles will take you into life and whatever you go on to do those principles stay with you because the same principles in life are what you learn in sport and, and that's why it really is so important kids play sport and enjoy sport and learn that interaction, that camaraderie, that team spirit, the bonding and that bit of individuality to say, do you know what? How good am I? Can I get better? Can I keep improving? And uh, yeah, that mentality is is a winner's mentality, whether you're playing sport or whether you, 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 you've got a trade or you've got your own company or you go and work in business. Um, so... That's why a lot of a lot of companies will hire sportsmen, ex-sportsmen, because they want that win mentality. They want that, you know, that that team ethic, that passion, that drive, that enthusiasm, and that desire to 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 want to do well. Um, yeah. To whether it's as an individual within a team, so you know, you just got to decide what what do you want to do. I to totally uh, validate what you say. Um, I'm fighting on March the fifth for this this Saturday. Uh, it'll be my sixteenth fight cool. um, on on the uh, league that used to be called the Queensbury League, and it was renamed last year to the Quest League. Um, it's okay. actually for a title as well, which is uh, quite cool. Nice. I'm 36. I'm pushing on a bit, but I'm I'm excited. But anyway, one of my main motivations is behind it is I've got a Just Giving page, and as well as a Just Giving page, all the proceeds from the ticket sales or table sales are going to a charitable cause which is Bromley and Downham Boxing, ABC, but also the Youth Centre. 
So in Downham, Bromley Downham, there was this youth centre as well as the boxing ABC club next to it. And one thing I've noticed is there's a lot more females going down there now. When I was 14, when I used to represent that club when I was younger, I had 10, around about 10 fights for them. Uh, it was all just male. And now more females getting involved, yeah. which I think is very, very healthy because it was only known as a men male-dominated sport. And I still say it is today, but there is a lot more females coming through, which I think is very healthy. But also, if you look at certain areas which are quite deprived sometimes, when a youth centre or boxing club goes down, mm. it affects a local area. Crime goes up, yeah. you know, graffiti, uh, there is gangs, there is drug dealing, etc. So keeping it open is really, really important. And then, as you just mentioned, it's the life transferable skills and mindset you know yeah. they can transfer that winning instinct that go get a get in type mentality or that fighters mentality yeah. into their own business into their own investment life etc so all that money is going to them it's going to help them develop it's going to help them home in on, on their skills and get them to their boxing competitions or bouts because it's going to be it's going to pay for their for for their for their transport transportation so i believe in definitely investing into the into the young younger demographic take me back to when you did become a professional footballer i mean what was that like signing your first contract for your first Major team, and who was the first major team that you signed to? Yeah, so I joined Palace at, at just uh, before my 14th birthday, and, and then Crystal Palace, yeah, yeah, Crystal Palace, and then apprenticeship at 16. I was one of the, I was the last apprentices that year, and then they become YTS. And then I signed my first pro contract um, at 17, uh, which was brilliant because you used to have to do jobs, and, and this is another thing in you know, in life, I think you need to earn your stripes, you need to earn respect, you need to have a certain discipline in your life. And I think youngsters need to be taught that. I think that's one thing we've lost is that, you know, you were, you did follow. So when, you know, you're a youngster, you do get a clip around the ear, you do look up to people and you do, you know, have to earn your stripes and that bit of respect and you come through and earn the right to, to so when you're a kid, you have, we had duties. I had three or four pros I looked after, get their kit, get their boots, clean their boots, pick up the kit afterwards, you know, get the balls in, wash the changing rooms down. And um, I think it's important to work as well. You know, I had a paper round and I worked in the chip shop. I did a bit of labouring. Um, I mean, obviously, one, I needed the money because, you know, we didn't have any money. But even if people are, you know, a lot of the people who are successful in life, they, you know, they, they make their kids get jobs when they're yeah. sort of around that 15, 16, 17, yeah. 18. You know, if you're at uni, get a job. You know, as a kid, you can have a job, go and work in a pub, go and work somewhere give them a grounding, you know, so you're grounded. And, uh, you know, I always feel coming through. So as an apprentice, I always felt quite grounded and then you progress. And then when you get that pro contract, you don't have to do duties anymore. You're like, oh man, that was, that was the coolest thing. And then you get your car and then you don't have to catch the bus anymore. And you're yeah. like, yeah, I've made it. And you get your yeah. thousand pound away and you're like, oh, you're buzzing. And you think, you, you, you know, you're flying and you get, you know, got, you know, I bought a flat when I was 18. I was going to buy it with my sister. Um, and funny enough, I mean, that's another interesting story. I bought my first flat in Croydon with my sister. And then my sister decided she wasn't going to take this job in London. So she couldn't come in with me. So I bought it on my own. And within six months of buying that flat, interest rates went from 7% to 15%. And my mortgage payment doubled. It went from £800 a month to £1,600 a month. And I think I was only taking home about two, two grand. Because the, the brilliant thing about being a footballer is your PAYE, you pay 40% tax. So if you've got 
four grand coming in. They're going to take 1,600 off it or, you, or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, so you end up with 2,400. If your mortgage is 1,800 or whatever, then, you know, by the time tax, car, you know, you work it out. I was, mm. I was struggling. I was living on bonuses. I was like, we got to win this week. And I went in to see Stevie Coppola and I'm like, yeah, right, you know, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, you know, start getting behind on my mortgage and stuff. And he's, well, do you want to sign another contract? And he sort of put, and I was like, well, I don't know. well how much are you offering? And, I was, and then my agent, you know, I'm sort of saying, well, don't let, don't just sit tight. It'd be all right. So I kind of like, you know, they try to, they try to pull the wool over my eyes a little bit, but it was hard times basically, you know, so you had to push through, through that, but it was, you know, it was the right decision. I think I bought it for about 70 grand, had it for a couple of years and, and sold it for probably around the same money. Didn't make any money on it. Then I bought a house, but then you start learning. But, you know, when I look back, I think if I'd have had better advice on property uh, or early on and things like that, you know, definitely would have stood me in good stead. But you, you just got to keep pushing and keep your eyes open and keep learning. And then obviously I got got in the England side um, and then I got injured, which I think when it was my time, got injured, I was going to move to Italy, started learning Italian. I was in the England side. There was an Italian side came over. Bari came over to buy me. And I can remember driving. Um, we had Leeds at home and I was driving to the game and I had talks with Bari in the morning and I was and Graham Taylor was there, the England manager. We had the Euros coming up. We had a qualifier against Turkey coming up. Um, uh, and, it, it, you know, I could just go into the game going, yes, do you know what I mean? This is it. This is now. This is happening. I am, you know, this is my time. And then my knee exploded that night. Oh. And I can remember coming home from the hospital about two o'clock in the morning, just sitting in the back garden, just thinking, because I'd my, I think my, my, sister was living with me at the time and um I think she had a packet of 10 Marlboro Lights and I just remember sitting in the garden I just devastated having a Marlboro Light in the back garden thinking I went from having everything ever, the world at your feet to being told it's all over it's, it's, you won't play again and, it, and that was um yeah that was kind of crazy but do you know what again I just I just like I'm gonna play it's gonna be fine and luckily, you know, Stevie Coppel, who had had to quit through knee injury, he he looked around the world and I ended up in West Hollywood because of NBA, NFL. Um, they 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 were very good at knees and operating. So yeah, I had an op there. Came back, got back playing, six months, knee went again, <laughs> got back in the England squad. And that that was the hardest, I think that was the hardest time. That 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 second time, that was hard to keep the belief and you know. I'm yeah. going to come back and I'm going to be as good. So, yeah, I kind of hit the bottle a bit and, you know, sort of took time out and was absolutely just devastated and um, had another 10 months out. And then, you know, you start training, you start getting back and, you know, I got back playing, but, you know, I was never the same. I was never as good again, you know, never reached those heights where, you know, before I thought I could play at any level, I thought, you know, go and get 50, 60 England caps, Euros, World Cup, you know, play for a top team. At the time, Serie A was the place to be. But, um, yeah, so, you know, battled through and, and got to 36, 600 games, um, which, you know, I'm proud of. And, and sometimes the worst thing, some, sometimes people go, oh, you played for England, didn't you, John? I said, yeah, yeah, I only, I only got five caps. Said, you got five caps? Squad seven, eight times. Like, 
you know, people give their right arm to have one cat. Why do you say only? So I have changed that. I have changed that to be more positive, to think they are precious and they are, you know, so, you know, they're the best thing that happened to me in my football career. Um, so I do, I do look at them now in a very, very positive light rather than that. I could have got 50. I could, you know, it's could have, should have, would have. I mean, if's the middle word in life, it, it, you know, it is what it is. And I'm very proud to have got the five and precious England cap. So, yeah, overall, you know, I'd love to have done a bit more, but it is what it is. You know, you, you've got to play the, the, you know, the cards that you get. Yeah. Massive achievement, mate. I mean, incredible. Most people, if you walk down the street, wouldn't even achieve half of what you've achieved in football. So congratulations. It's, it's inspiring stuff. Um, you probably get asked this quite a lot. Uh, it's something I asked my uncle quite a bit. Chrissy Sully, who I mentioned to you, was a professional footballer, still very much in football now. Um, you know, maybe a few years before the mega money's come into football, right? Hmm. And there's so many people that take a view on it. My view is this. I think it's incredible. Um, if a young ma man or female, but predominantly young men, are earning so much money, unbelievable. I think it's... Money doesn't change who you are, in my opinion. It no. emphasises who you are. If you're an arsehole, well, you're just an arsehole with a load of money. If you're a good person and you give to charity, you're, you're able to do that more and help other people because you've got more money. It yeah. doesn't, doesn't make you a better or a bad person. Um, but let's be honest. If I went to anyone in the street... Do you want more money? And there's no catches. I'll just give you more money today, free. Would you take it or not? Yeah. Every single person, unless you're a bit nuts, would probably say, yes, of course I would. Because money gives you more options, right? Yeah. So being a footballer back then in comparison to now, mm. your view on the money in, in, in the game and what was the most amount of money you were on, if, I don't, if you don't mind me asking, when you was at your height of your career, John? So yeah, so we would have gone. I can remember I signed I signed a contract. So I think my first yeah my first decent contract was fifteen hundred pound a week. So you got a grand a week in your wages, and they got five hundred pound sign on fee. So whatever that equated to uh, twenty five grand or whatever. So that's how they always break it up in football. You get some of it wages, you get some of it sign on, and they pay you that half yearly every, when they get the TV money. So the biggest thing that happened. Um, sorry, then I went on to. Yeah, so I think when I played an FA Cup final in 1990, I was on 1,500 pound a week. Then I went from there to, I think, to six grand a week. And then the most honour was, was 10 grand a week. Um, That's lovely. Yeah, yeah. So you, you get bonuses and, and that, that was decent money. Back and then. 10, was, 10 was, grand a week was with who? So that would have been with Coventry. Um, so I went there. I was going to sign for Newcastle, going to sign for Kevin Keegan, and that didn't happen. I can remember... Um, I nearly signed for Celtic actually and asked for 10 grand a week and they said no they couldn't they couldn't pay that and then even Kevin didn't want to pay that in Newcastle so um but that 10 grand a week would have been seven and a half grand wages and two and a half grand appearance money so if you played you got your you got your full quotes which I do you know what I don't know why they don't do that more they should incentivize contracts uh from a football point of view if you can get away with it they do but largely you can't so you know I played in an era where, and obviously the, my issue was I got injured and then I was, you know, people have to want you and you have to be progressing. So although I, you know, I left Palace, I went to Coventry um, and then um, I went to Fulham and Fulham were in the first division. So, you know, that, that was a, that was a 
funny time. That was, you know, we sort of went to Coventry, had a couple of kids and it was, it all got a little bit, I think sometimes you just lose sight of what you really should be doing and make a proper, you know, financial decision. Sometimes your decisions are made by, you know, sort of family issues or whatever's going on with your life at the time. You look back and think, oh, do you know what? I probably should have stayed, signed another contract and, and then, you know, make your decisions. But, you know, I wanted to come back to London you make your decisions, but for me, I was yeah. Then you start on that down, downward trajectory. Although I went to Charlton in the um, in the Prem, I didn't play. Then I played at Reading, uh, and then one year at Brentford. So, but you know, you're at a level that you just think um, you're not gonna you know go and demand big money. And the biggest change was the Premier League. When the Premier League came in in '92, the world changed. There was so much more money. Clubs had more money. The physios got better. The sports science came into it. And that's when you could really push on. And people went from 10 all of a sudden to 20, 30 grand a week. Then you get your Sol Campbell's going to 100 grand a week. Um, and it just goes crazy. It just gets nuts. And obviously there was, I don't know, you, um, it was, um, was it uh, the um, Bosman ruling? Jan Bosman. I don't know if you, so what happened was at the end of your contract, they had to sort of keep paying you till you got another club. And they sort of had a, you know, you had some sort of re, recourse from the club. Uh, but what the Bosman ruling did, he went to a court and saying he wanted to be a free agent after his contract ran out. So basically, if he let his contract run down, then he could go and negotiate one over there with no signing on, you know, no fee for you and get more money. And that was a crazy one. And I don't really think that helped players in general, but the better players and the bigger players, it gave them a lot of power to run down contracts and earn stupid money. So I'm a 30 million pound player. You haven't got to pay that. I want that in wages. So agents, you know, the game just changed. So the Premier League starting and the the John, uh, the Bosman ruling was, was crazy in the way football works. And, you know, f- the agents, it's a wild west and, and it's crazy. They've never got hold of it at the PFA. Uh, I've never got hold of it. And for some reason, they allow this real snakes cesspit that goes on with agents and the way they 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 exploit football players. It is really quite disgusting. But anyway, that's that's it. That's it. That's a, another podcast, I think. But yeah. yeah, so, you know, um, the money... I mean, I always say no one comes up and gives you a million quid. They don't go, here you go, here's a million quid. Or do you want 10? Here's 10 million pounds. Mm. It doesn't happen. So if you're Harry Kane, if, if if you're Jack Grealish and you're getting two, three hundred grand a week, then someone must think you're worth it. Someone says that I'm I'm gonna give you that because I'm yeah, I'm gonna give you three hundred grand a week because I'm making five hundred grand a week out of you because yeah. it's all business. You know, Daniel Levy's a businessman, everyone's a businessman. They don't operate, but you've got to be successful. You've got to come, you've got to deliver, and you've got to have something to offer, you've got to have a product. You know, there's a lot of players that I think Maybe I think the funny thing is they, they get to a certain level and then they get the big money and then don't deliver for what they're paid. And that's very sad. Um, but for the lads that are playing well, if you're a Ronaldo, if you're a Messi, for the top players, it's the marketplace. It's the going rate. So, mm. you know, Lewis Hamilton's earning £50 million a year or what, £100 million a year. You know, if you're a, an actor... You're earning big money. If you're in the city, traders are earning ridiculous amounts of money. You know, I don't know. Sometimes they look at footballers and go, oh, footballers earn a lot of money. Why? Because it's a working man's game. It's the people's game. So the people are plumbers, electricians, builders that go to football. 
they're on normal money. So when they pick up the sun, they go, do you remember when they, they changed it? They didn't go, he earns a million pound a year. They go, oh, he earns a hundred grand a week. You know, when you change it to a hundred grand a week, it's like, oh my God, that's a lot. So footballers, because it's a working man's game, it just has that feeling that they shouldn't be on that kind of money and the they emotion. don't deserve it. But the game is massive. Football, the Premier League's our biggest export in this country. It's global. The magazines, the guys selling hot dogs, you know, the, 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 the circus, the, the TV, the radios, the podcasts, the, you know, everything that surrounds the Premier League, football, is it's just an Im- enormous machine that is so incredible. And it, so for these players, for people to sort of say, oh, they earn too much money or what, it's ridiculous. It's a very short career. They've got to maximise what they're earning, but the product and what they're delivering is incredible. It's incredible now. And as I say, it, the Premier League's global. You go to Tottenham or Arsenal or Chelsea or Liverpool, there's foreign people flying in from around the world to mm. come and watch our football, to come and be part of that. You know, and the money, the revenue that is generated from, from delivering the Premier League around the world is just, is nuts. And it's just going to keep going up. Yeah. But I don't know. There is this resentment that I just don't get about players earning money. They are young kids. And I think something's got to be done about more of an educational path. Only 1% get through. With all the foreign players coming in, you know, you get all these kids in academies with the dreams, the hopes and the dreams. They're the ones I feel sorry for. But only 1%, 2% get through, make it. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's dream come true land. And... You know, they're going to earn money because you've got to pay the get going rate. You know, clubs are getting 120, 140 million a pound just to be in the Premier League. Then you've got sponsors. Then you've got all the advertising and, you know, all yeah, your yeah. commercial bits and, your, you know, the daily commercials on a match day, the revenues they can generate from the corporate hospitality. and block. So it's a massive machine. And the players are just getting a fraction. You know, players are getting their rewards for that. So... The worst question I ever get asked is, would I love to be playing now with the money? Well, I can't. I can't turn, I can't change time. I can't, I can't say, it's no point in me thinking about it. I love the pitches. I love the glamour and the glitz. I like the fact that, you know, you, I was a skillful player. So, you know, I got kicked all over the place. So I'd like it now that people get booked and sent off for just looking at you. So I'd have loved that. I think I'd have benefited from that. I think I'd, have, yeah, I'd have enjoyed playing now without a doubt, but I'd love, you know, the money, obviously, but it's not going to happen. So there's no point me wasting any energy on things that can't happen or are not possible. I've just got to look forward and think, actually, what can I do to make a bit of money, to look after my family, to, to be the best I can and want to enjoy what I'm doing, mm. to kind of enjoy my life. Because I think, you know, I'm 53 now, which is scary, scary as. That is, where the hell did the last 30 years go? I mean, I was a 20-year-old playing in a cup final against Man United, playing for England, loving life. And I look around, I'm 53, and I'm like, damn. Crazy, isn't it? Damn, yeah, I went to work for Sky. Yeah, when I came out, I thought, well, I sort of looked at the options. I wanted to go into management. I applied for about three or four jobs, but I didn't get one interview, um, which was... And then I went to work for Sky, and I just, you know, working for Sky Covering, and did, you know, obviously did my coaching. Because I had my original coaching badge. When I first got injured, I did my coaching badge. And then I turned that into a UA for A. That became a B. Changed it into UA for A. And um, yeah, so I enjoyed coaching. Would have liked to be a manager. Um, but then again, that just never really, really happened. Um, so, you know, but yeah, enjoying real life. There's so much out there um, 
to do and be involved with that um yeah it's kind of crazy really definitely um a couple of things you said there and there were so many parts i went yeah, to stop like, you yeah, and, yeah. and talk about that but i'll just try and re- recap and re- remember a, a couple of things so we were talking about the money side of stuff obviously from then till now and yeah i mean like i've lost lost track now i mean some some players are earning what 400 500 grand a week maybe in foreign foreign countries i know that places in china they were playing astronomical mm. amounts of money yeah america you know they're now paying a lot of money to 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 x top players i mean yeah. one of the first people that i remember going over there was the david beckham going over to la mm. um i don't know how much he was on but obviously earning a good amount of money terry Henry, i think went to red bulls or something like that in new yeah. york uh, I actually watched a Wayne Rooney documentary over the weekend on Amazon Prime, okay. which I thought was insane. Like as far Good. as yeah, like as far as motivational, inspiring. If you're into sports, specifically football, or even if you want to become an entrepreneur and you need that winner's mindset, watch this documentary. Unbelievable. And I've got a new going back to what we said earlier: education. When you're exposed to the education, you get to admire and appreciate somebody or that organization a lot more and i really appreciate and admire wayne rooney a lot more after watching that but anyway so they're on serious amount of money now okay Mm. even the players that are not really playing so much are on Mm. serious amount of money and again my position is i think it's fantastic because i think that if a 20 year old if a 30 year old even 40 year old at back end of their career is earning that amount of money from their craft that they enjoy mm. in another part of the world good on them like yeah. and it inspires me to go on and try and do that for myself yeah um but sometimes i do think you know sometimes giving a young ma- man uh who's very alpha male very dominant you know very you know you know wants to impress maybe the females or whatever else or or look good on social media it can become a little bit dangerous because if you're handing someone 100 grand 200 grand 300 grand a week and they're not financially educated they could be a bit of prey for the so-called financial advisors or these schemes and stuff like that or it might get to them so much with the pressure of the game Mm. pressure of being fit and not getting injured pressure of social media pressure of haters and trolls pressure of handling all the money all that combined sometimes they go pop mm. and they they do seem quite crazy so your your take on it like the pressures of being this young footballer coming through all this money i mean should there is there uh can there be more education and more support for people when they start being you know uh, you know i don't know given so much money and also turn into a celebrity basically yeah, no, absolutely, they, they can be. And again, I think there should be a pathway, there should be an education. Um, you know, players should be trained, and I think a lot has to be done and improved on for, for player care. Um, and as I said, you know, the average length of the career is eight years. A lot of people don't earn money. We focus on the ones who do. It's a pyramid, and there's very few people at the top earning big money for, very, for, for, for not very long amounts of time. And we focus on those, but the pyramid gets, you know, big very quickly. And there's a lot of players that don't earn a lot of money and they need to look after that. So the wealth management has changed because the regulations have changed. So they have to be a lot more transparent. So the lads are, are looking after their money better. There's better education on property, better education on investing your money and what you can invest in and looking after it and keeping it. 
which is brilliant, which is which has worked well. But I don't think the game as a whole, especially the PFA, do enough for player education to make sure they're looked after. So you're very reliant on your agent, you're very reliant on your family, very reliant on who you have around you. Your circle, yeah. To look after it. So, you know, very much so with your contracts and, and what you sign and what you spend your money on. You know, lads have got to be careful of, they say, being preyed on, making sure... <laughs> you marry the right person, you know, you, you, you know, you, you, you don't really get into gambling, you know, I'm a bit worried that, you know, the lads spend a lot of money on gambling, you know, but the pressures now are incredible. And I think there's not really, there's limited ways for them to, to have a release, you know, you see Jack Grealish and, and Walker and Foden go out for a drink, go and have a beer. They're all over, you know, the papers, all over social media, you know, Phil Foden coming out of a concert, the, the Khan, uh, fight. Um, Brook fight, yeah. Yeah, the, the Khan Brook fight. And, you know, downstairs, he gets started on by some fans. You know, his mum ends up getting smacked. You know, they, there's a punch up, you know, people are filming it. It's it's disgusting. And these young kids, so much pressure. And I was talking to Gareth Southgate about that. And he, it's the one big thing that he was saying is these kids have got so much pressure on their shoulders. You know, you're Sterling, you're Grealish, you're Foden's. You're, yes, they're earning big money, but, you know, they're in a goldfish bowl and they really... You know, you're really reliant on having good, solid family around you, and and, and you know, being strong mentally. Because, you know, you will have, you will find you have some that that fall down and struggle, um, and get into drink and maybe you know drugs and and just you know it's gambling and just you know just lose the plot, and it's very difficult. Um, just for most normal careers, but for the big ones, um, there is a lot of pressure. There yeah. is a lot of pressure, and they have to deal with that. And, and they need help. But there's a lot of psychological help as well. You know, the mental health situation is massive. But, you know, the ones I feel for, and I said about the strength, in that dressing room, it's, it's ruthless. Yeah. It's cutthroat. And people just can't cope and you just don't end up making it. And really the ones, the ones that do are the strong ones. And that's that, well, I talk about 1%, 2%. And, um, you know, a lot of the boys, you know, now you know, have a lot of, you know, you can go and get help. You can go and get your own people and talk to people and make sure that you know what you're doing and the right people around you, you're going to keep your money and look after it. So there is a lot of, lot of um, conversations, a lot being done in that pathway just because, you know, wealth managers want to earn their money. And if you can get your clients, you know, you, you know, you, you, you can look after it. So um, it is a minefield and it, it is a, it is a nightmare, but no one cares. I mean, I always think there's this massive thing about, you know, you have a shirt, you play, and if you're out there, you're visible. If you're not, you're gone. Where'd you go? What happens? You know, they, they just disappear off the planet. No one cares, you know, so no one really cares about you. No one's going to look after you. None of the clubs are going to go, are you all right? You know, are you okay? You're right for everything. You know, see guys that played a hundred times for their countries, you know, can't pay their gas bill. You know, they're struggling mentally. I was with Kenny Sampson the other day, you know, gambling, drink addictions. You know, he's, he's really struggling. Um, you know, I don't know how he's surviving, but someone rallied around him. I'd like to think the game might look after him. 86 England caps, you know, played for Arsenal Palace. Um, it's just, where is, where, you know what I mean? There's, there's no safety net. There is no help. And it's quite sad. So you play. You have your, you know, you have your minutes fame, and then you're out there. So you do need to be strong, um, and, a, and a lot of the lads do struggle, unfortunately, and uh, they need more help from the game, certainly. I think um, in today's age, 
you know, the, the pressure of performing as an athlete, I mean, that's astronomical amount of pressure. Um, obviously getting it from the club, your teammates, you know, your peers, your friends, you know, fans, etc. Obviously the money, people are going to talk about it all the time. Whether you're for it or against it, people are going to talk about it. I mean, headlines <laughs> all the time. Whenever a footballer does something wrong, it starts with... Footballers on 200 grand a week has done this and, yeah. it, and it tries to stir the emotion of the, of the public. I have debates with my father-in-law all the time. My, obviously, my wife's uh, dad, he's like, yeah, well, on that amount of money, you should be. And I said, but at the end of the day, still, you're still human. And he always draws this comparison between footballers and the NHS. And I said, okay, what's your comparison? He said, well, they go and save people's lives. And I said, I get that. You're comparing apples and oranges, though, two different industries. And also... You've got to look at the probability. If I hang up, hung, hung up my gloves today in the art world and said, right, I want to become a, um, I don't know, like a, a nurse in the NHS, mm. yeah, the equivalent or whatever, yeah, I reckon with a bit of training, because I'm like half, you know, got a brain on me, I reckon I could go and do it. This process is, it might take me a bit of time, but eventually I might get there and I could start getting, getting paid in the yeah. NHS. I'm not trying to knock what they're doing. I'm just saying that skill set can be probably taught to so many more people because it's a skill set that it needs to be earned, uh, easily easily learned because they need to go and save more people's lives, okay? So it's a good thing. But if someone said to me, right, hang out your gloves today, you got one year to become a premiership footballer, there is no chance in hell. I'm fit, I'm a boxer, I can, I can run, but as far as kicking the ball and scoring and defending, probably not. Yeah. I probably won't be, and that's part of the reason why they get paid so much money because there's not a lot of people on the face of the planet can do what they can do. And coining what you just said, someone must must see the value in what they're doing in order to pay them. Okay, but anyway, with all that being said, then on top of that, the pressure is social media. Yeah, back in your day, and when I was younger. There was no YouTube, there was no Instagram, there was no Facebook, there was no podcast. And that is good and bad. But I think the downside to it now, especially with like, you know, a high profile player, um, let's call it Ronaldo. He's got, mm. he just hit over 400 million followers on social media. 400 million? 400 million. Allegedly, oh. I read that he can charge one million pounds or dollars for one post on social media because he's got such a big following, which again, great. I think he's an elite athlete. I think he's a total winner. And I actually get so inspired seeing that. There is a downside to it, which is the moment you put a foot wrong, you let a goal in, you tackle someone bag it, or you do something in your private life. Mm. You know, you might have a swearing match with some stranger or fan or a fan kicks off with your mum, for example, and then you're trying to defend her. Suddenly they're recording it and you're on social media and then you get the haters mm. and trolls saying stuff at you. Yeah, You know, what sort of pressures? Like, how how do you how do you how do you take social media yourself now? I know you're not so much on it, but as as a as someone who's a bit of a fan for football as well, you look mm. at it and think, Jesus, if I was one of these footballers now, how could how would I deal with the pressures of social media? I think that like, I'll just quickly say about the NHS thing. I mean, the one thing I will say about footballers is people have to remember that footballers pay forty percent tax. So they put a lot of money back into the system and especially the NHS and people, you know, it's a different, there's a lot of people claiming benefits and asking a lot of the system. Mm-hmm. Whereas footballers pay 40% tax and they don't ask anything. So they've got private medical care. The kids go to private schools. So they create 
a lot of jobs and they create a lot of happiness. So I think when people look at footballers and think, if someone's on 100 grand a week, that's 40 grand of that is going into the public purses, by the way. So that's roads, that's hospitals, that's schools. So, you know, in a case of what are people giving back, from that sense, footballers are giving quite a lot. Solid point. Yeah, so they're giving a lot. So, but... The social media thing is, is just incredible. It's just, a, it, it's disgusting. I, I hate it. I, I wish it wasn't there. You know, it's almost, it's just so poisonous. It's a real poisonous platform, but it's something that, and I really feel sorry for our kids. I was going to say. And we talk about, but you know, you sort of talk about footballs. You've got to be strong enough to deal with it. They're earning money. They've got to get on with it and, and you justify it. But for our kids now, it's all about this peer pressure, this social pressure, this, you know, what they're looking at and how they speak to each other. I mean, yeah, I hate Twitter. And I don't really want to be on there. I don't really want to go on Instagram. I don't really want to post about me. But do you know what I mean? You, you sort of get these comments like, you've got to be relevant. If you're not relevant, then you're no one. And, you know, and it's kind of like a bit of a catch-22 where I don't, you know, I don't, you know, I want to enjoy the game. I don't really want to post things about Liverpool, Chelsea. You know, I don't. And then you get involved with like politics is the worst one. If you've got any kind of views, if you say anything about a team or you say something about someone, if you, if you have an opinion, People are just haters. They just get on you. And, you know, it, it is disgusting. It does it does affect you. And you get to the point where I think for most people, you just think, I don't want to be on this platform. I don't want this. I don't want this for my kids. I don't want this to be our lives. There's a lot of positives with it, but it's so many negatives. So it's really quite sad. And I think something's got to change. I think now we're all going, a lot of people have seen it. You go to Instagram. Instagram's just nice. You post a nice story. I'm doing this, uh, you know, where am I? What am I doing? How am I doing it? Is it funny? TikTok's great. You're doing a funny dance. You're doing something. You're putting something interesting. And that's great. So those kind of platforms are fantastic. But it's just, I think the end of Twitter's coming because it's just a poisonous platform that, you know, everyone thought it started being nicey, but it's just a, it's, you know, it's a, you know, it's a big mouthpiece for, for people that shouldn't have one mm. um, and shouldn't be allowed to have one, basically. So... It is a it is a weird one, but it is it is what we are. And technology is just moving at Crazy. such a fast pace. You know, I was thinking when I was twenty year old, I remember getting that first Nokia Motorola. And it was just you know having a nice phone, you, and then you got you know laptops getting you know sort of quite. And then you look at technology now, and people used to say to me, "You're going to have a phone that's going to be your laptop. It's going to open you. It's going to have eye recognition, yeah. voice recognition. It's going to be everything. It's going to be your, your computer. It's going to be your keys. It's going to be your wallet. It's going to you're going to pay." And you're like, "No way, no. That's you know just not possible." Do you remember when I grew up? You had Buck Rogers, and it was set in the year 2025, and we used, to, "Oh my God, this is the future!" You know, Star Wars, and we're 2022, and. You know, it's crazy. And you, you look at the technology now, just moving so fast. And yeah. because technology is creating technology, it's out of our hand. And we're talking about, kids are talking about Bitcoins and Ethereum and... And, and, and metaverse. And metaverses and, and NFTs. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of, you know, it does make my head hurt because it's, it's nuts. And I think the world's moving too fast. And I think, especially technology, kids are growing up too quick and... We've gone away from sort of community spirit, you know, sort of family values, you know, marriage, I don't know where, you know, it's just weird. The world's a weird place now that every time, and I know I'm getting old when I'm saying that, because that's what old people do. They moan about the youngsters and go, when I was a kid, you mm. know, when I was growing up. In my up, day. In my yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sad, but that's where I am now. I'm sort of beginning to go, in my day, you know, the kids <laughs> didn't know they're born, they got no respect, they got no, you know. 
you know, the drugs thing, it's just, it, it, you know, everything's out of control, you know. I just, you know, you know, so, but there is a lot of lovely stuff. I mean, we've gone out of, you know, in a pandemic, how crazy was that? Straight into a war. I don't know where this war is going to go. So, you know, it's, it's kind of nuts, but, you know, through it all, we've just got to keep believing. And I think just doing the best we can in our little, in our little bubble, um, in your own little family, your own little ways. You know, if you're kind, you're courteous, you're respectful and you do your little bit. I think that's what we can do and that's what we should be doing. So I think for a large part, the lads are great. You know, if you look at 95% of the lads are, are good lads, they're good, solid people, good families, you know, and they deserve what they get. You're going to get, obviously, there's been a lot of bad headlines following footballers, you know, obviously Zuma, you know, um, Green, Green, yeah, Green, Greenwood. I was going to say that, that cat charity, 500 grand, two weeks wages, right? like, 200 no was it yeah 125 grand um a week so 250 grand for kicking a cat two weeks wages that's you know but it, it, it's crazy i don't even know when that happened but you, you know how that gets posted and how that happens but i mean so disgusting it's like how can you behave like that yeah. let alone film it and post it and then obviously we've got mason greenwood you've got ryan Giggs. you know you, 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 there's so many horrible stories that just don't go away you know mm. the press love it i mean they do want car crash they love the war they love the pandemic they love these stories that they want to but it reflects so badly on football as a whole but when you actually look at it you know 98 97 98% of the lads are good good lads you know do a lot for charity do a lot for their clubs care about their community um and deserve everything they get you know for what for what they do but you know, you can't wait to, to churn out these headlines. It just gives football and footballers a really bad name. So, um, I mean, you do worry for them. I think there should be more education between that, you know, like, you know, in America, you have to go and get a degree. You know what I mean? You, you go to college and you have to learn um, and you have to get through that and then you get your contract at 21, you know. Whereas our kids come through and, you know, they're, they're on this treadmill from when they're eight, nine, ten you know, live in a bubble, don't really know how the real world works, you know. And then they get, you know, they're sort of surrounded by agents telling, you know, so they're very limited in their education because I think the cricketers, the rugby players and everyone else, even the, you know, get a better life education, better life lessons. So that's the only thing I would try and change is, and obviously it's that big elephant in a room of so many players are, are taken on and then discarded and just they're broken and left with nothing really. So there should be education, there should be, and there should be a conveyor, you know, players when they get to like that 31, 32, 33, should be encouraged to start doing education. So mm. you can go and be a lawyer, you can go and be an accountant, you can become a chief exec, you can go and be a director of football. Because I, I am really worried, and it's it, the, the biggest disgrace is footballers don't work within football. So how many footballers at the FA? Yeah. How many footballers at the Premier League? How many footballers work in the Football League? I don't, I can't, I don't know any. I honestly don't know any. I know there's some in the PFA. It's beginning... There might be one or two, but there should be everyone. There should be a lot. Yeah. You know, I think the German FA, I think it's 50, 60% ex-footballers work in the, you know, you look at, I look at Spain, I look at Portugal, I look at France, you've got Platini running UEFA. Where, where, where had Sir Trevor Brook? They, why aren't footballers working in football? Um, it, it's, you know, it's crazy really, but you know, it's a big machine. Um, there's a lot of power. There's a lot of changes need to be made. Um, you know, it's why are there black, enough black coaches? Why aren't there enough black managers? Why aren't there, you know, to represent the same 
you know, demographic of players, you know, the amount of players. Um, it's not. And, the, you know, the, the people that are allowed to buy football clubs and run, you know, it's, it's, it's all, there's a lot of things that are really quite fundamentally wrong with football mm-hmm. uh, and the way it works. But it is, you know, we just love it. It's brilliant. And when you're watching that Liverpool-Chelsea Cup final yesterday, it's just incredible. You forget about the war, you forget about the world and, you know, and, and you, you know, you're watching that and it's phenomenal entertainment and everyone around the world would just be loving that and it, yeah. it was brilliant and that's what we love and it captures the hearts football touches people like no other sport for me but I mean sport is so I mean boxing's massive now you know boxing mm. you know the Brook Khan fight was just incredible and, and obviously when the big boys fight and then the heavyweights you know it, it's brilliant but the, the, the sport sport's never been more relevant more important more uh, and uh, you know but, but and it's social media. It's the coverage. The coverage yeah. is incredible. You're looking and think about it. Twenty one seven. You know, people are at their desk. You know, getting their fantasy teams and looking at the news. And it's, you know, what's happening in the world of tennis. What's happening in the world of, you know, boxing, horse racing, football, rugby, cricket. You know, the IPL's just about to start. You know, sport has never been so prominent and yeah. so huge, which is which is which is great. Just brings a lot of unity, people together. I think yeah. it's very, very healthy, regardless whether it's the tennis, football, boxing, whatever. Mm. I just think it's healthy to come together like that. Going back to the social media aspect of stuff, um, I think it's a bit of a catch twenty two now for, for for players. It's almost like don't be on it because you're going to get distracted. But if you don't be on it, you're not going to become relevant or it's not stay relevant. And also, it's, it's a bit of a business now. So. The Reeboks, the Adidas, the Nike, whoever you're going to get endorsed by, personally as a player, are probably going to go off your social media. How you look, how you're coming across, mm. the message that you're portraying to a demographic that you're trying to appeal to. I think that really, really is important. And I think it does come down to, and this is what I'm going to tell my two young sons, one's three and one's six months tomorrow. I'm going to say to them, even though it's tough, but keep them, remind them, Use social media, don't let it use you. Because the yeah. moment it starts using you, that's when the fear, anxiety, depression, compar- right. com- comparing yourself to other people, that's when it sets in. So that's the one thing I want to say about it. So, you know, being famous today in football is very different to what it was when you become a pre- pre- professional footballer. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, you're still famous back then. So I want to ask you a couple of things. What was it like when people started noticing you for being a footballer, being being on TV, scoring goals, etc.? But also the downside to it back then, the tabloids, you know, the Sun, the Mirror, the Daily Mail, whatever, would write about your team, write about maybe you making a mistake in your personal or public life. Mm. So tell me, what was it like becoming known and famous and what was the worst article ever written about you? Yeah, crazy as. I mean, it was it was stark, really. Um, obviously, when I came through at Palace, playing in a cup final, semi-final at Villa Park, Liverpool's final, United, that was massive because there was like, you know, 150 million people around the world. And it was quite weird because we, after the cup final that season, we went on a tour of the West Indies and, um, you know, you'd be in Jamaica and people would be recognising you. People, oh, I saw you in the cup final, you know. It was kind of crazy. So around the world, but the biggest changed definitely was playing for England when you when I pulled on that England shirt the visibility and the recognizing just went through the roof it was like hundredfold you know you pull up at a set of lights be like oh nice you know it was like you know people recognized you everywhere because England is just so big you know everyone everyone looks at England so that was incredible um 
And it is, it is weird because, you know, fame doesn't exist. You got to keep your feet on the ground because you're not really anyone else. But I think you do need to stay humble. You do need to stay respectful. And it, you know, fame's just something that's here today. And it's, it's something that I think you've got to, you just got to get a grip of and you've got to understand that, you know, it's, it's really nice that, that people do recognize you and, and be grateful. They do. I mean, it can be a bit of a pain when it gets too much. And I think I, I, you know, say lucky. I, I didn't really have it too bad. So I wasn't up at that level for too long. Um, but obviously once you get to a certain level of fame, it's unbearable and you have to be careful where you go, how you go. Cause you can't have a hundred people getting your autograph. You go to cinema and you're getting pestered. You know, you just go to a restaurant. You can't just live your life. So I feel sorry for the lads now. Whereas they can't just really disappear. I mean, London's great because there's lots of little, no, and no one really cares in London. That's why everyone comes to London. They see stars all the time. So it's like, Oh, there's Rudy Hansen over there. It's Tom Cruise. Oh, great. You know, they don't go, oh, I'll go and get his autograph because he takes home two million pounds as a broker. You know, he's like, you know, people are doing okay for themselves and they see stars all the time. So it is brilliant. But yeah, I mean, fame's crazy. I did get myself in the news of the world. Um, and that's what they used to do. You know, they target you. You know, people would try and lure you into situations that they could exploit. And, um, you know, they'd sell their stories. Well, they sell news of the world. Yeah, so someone, yeah, someone did sell their story. What, and what was a it? Double page spread with a, with, with a girl. All right. Um, <laughs> I think that the uh, headline was footballer shagged me on bonnet of his Mercedes was the headline. So that was pretty horrific as I was sort of married and had kids at the time. <laughs> um, yeah, that was never forgotten. So, you know, you sort of, um, yeah, it, it's a crazy, crazy situation. I got myself into something I shouldn't have done. And they exploited it and made it more than it actually was. But it's sensations themselves, you know. Um, and that headline's never forgotten. And, you know, you got yourself into something. So, you know, those kind of things don't bode well. I think when you're young, successful, you got money and you can be a bit of an arse and get yourself into things that don't help you. And that's why a lot of the lads do end up yeah. divorced. You know, well, it's it's a sweetie shop for the boys really a little bit. There's a lot of, lot of you know, there's a lot of opportunity to to be led astray a little bit and, and unfortunately you know it happens and and that's why you know it's a, it's a difficult situation and and does cause a lot of problems and and ultimately i think with with those situations maybe you know the pressure the drink drugs whatever it is um it can happen depression um you know a lot of lads do end up divorced but you know you come around and and you know you get on with your life and you you, you almost sort of live a second life really um where you live you learn and you grow you know you you, you make mistakes and and you learn from them and you, you you try and live that second life a lot better than you did the first one and and to be fair fame money and and all the things that come and all the trappings that come with football are not easy to deal with they're not easy and it's easy to yeah, to make mistakes and, and they're often costly. Wayne Rooney said in his documentary, he touched on this very point. He said, well, yeah, of course I'm going to slip up in my life. That's that's part of growing up and that's part of becoming more mature and that's part of just going through different experiences and different tap chapters in your life. Again, if I were to uh, answer honestly, have I fucked up so many times? If I were to ask anyone in this building, have you fucked up so many times? Anyone in the street so many times. What's the difference? The difference is when you're a high-profile person, footballer, celebrity, etc., 
you've got cameras following you around pretty much all the time. Even when mm. you think they're not watching, they are, especially with social media. Uh, I've told this story many times about Jack Fincham, who was on Love Island, who, who won it. He came here to do a podcast and he, we actually done an exercise live on the podcast. So I met him over in Piccadilly, um, walked over here. We'd done the podcast. He said, look, uh, went on to his DMs and someone said, like, wearing that uh, today with your Chelsea boots and them jeans, you look, you look like you look awful. You look like trash. And he said, I didn't even know that person was looking at me, but sent me a message to say I look like like a load of rubbish. And he said, that's the point. You don't know you're being followed when you become a high-profile high person. Yeah. And Wayne Rooney said, if you were being followed since you're 14 years of age with cameras and they picked up on every single mistake that you, you went through, of course, you know, it's going to look bad. But if you have no cameras, then people are not going to know about your problems. No. And that's why, yeah, that's that's the thing. I, I think if you ask me, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to be wealthy but not famous. I, I think the fame game is... It is is shocking. It's horrible. Yeah. I don't. I don't. A lot of lads don't want the fame. Don't covet the fame. Don't enjoy the fame. And there's not a lot of real pluses to it. But it comes with, you know, the the job. Yeah. It comes with the fact that you are a player. And it's, again, it's a working man's game. So people do recognise you. Do need to yeah. to sign their autographs. Spend some time talking to them. And and be as humble as you can because, yeah, at the end of the day, you'll get that. We pay your wages. You know, it is, it is, you know, you enjoy the fans. But, yeah, you want that in return. You do want the fans to be respectful and understand the position you're in. And that's why players are just a little bit more detached now, have to be separate because, you know, they just don't know what they're going to get into and, and, and how they're going to be treated and, and people are there to abuse it. You know, there, there's a lot of yeah, haters out there and it, situations can get out of hand, but... Hey, yeah, you know, you can't knock it. It is the way it is. It's the job. You take the, the rewards and you've got to, you know, you've got to take the fact that you've got to give and it's life for what you take. You've got to give and, and, and certainly you try to make it as smooth and as nice as possible. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's enjoyable. It's a very enjoyable ride. I only want to ask you one or two more things because I, I know you're going to be probably very, very busy today. Um, so you mentioned earlier... Uh, just something I picked up on and it's something I've picked up on with a lot of athletes. I've had David Cotterall on my podcast, Anton Ferdinand, Kieran Richardson, O'Hara Davis, George Groves was just on last week. I mean, being a boxer myself, I've got, George, yeah. <laughs> I've got access to quite a lot of, um, you know, boxers specifically and then some of them have led me to other athletes like yeah. footballers, etc. And I know you said about your own podcast, Pub Pub. Pubcast. Pub, pubcast. Pubcast. <laughs> um, and you mentioned about interviewing some very successful athletes that have mm. gone on to be even more successful and some maybe not so much. And they're both really interesting conversations because they're both, uh, it's both content that you can learn from as, yeah. as, a, as a viewer. And when people get injured, when they get hit by the press, when they get attacked by social media, mm. when their career comes to an end, where you've actually had all of them bar probably attacked on social media, um, drinking, drugs, depression, anxiety, fear, mm. um, you know, feeling that you're not good enough. Um, you mentioned about maybe when you hurt your knee, like injured your knee, going onto the bottle, maybe having cigarettes. Did that ever become a thing or can you see how people have gone that ro down that road and how did you become, how have you kept yourself sane? And because you come across like a real genuine nice guy who has got your feet firmly on the ground. So how, how do you kind of persevere them dark days? Yeah, uh, you just got to be positive and as you know, you've got to have drive, you've got to have purpose. I think you've got to have interest in things. 
I think you've got to work hard. And for me, I, I always find working out, you know, maybe doing something physically like, you know, signing up for London to Paris with Jeff Thomas, you know, London to Paris. So you've got to train, you've got to live right. You've got something positive to look forward to. Sign up for the marathon, sign up for half marathon, you know, have something in your life, sign up for a boxing fight, you know, and train for that and have that focus and drive it. Always, I mean, the physical training works for me. I love playing golf because mentally it it is you know, the focus and the desire to win. And then you, you need to practice and then go out there and play. So I love those challenges and I always found it, you know, so doing something sporting, getting in the gym, training for something always focuses the mind. Uh, and it's actually, you know, even I think you need that more after you stop playing, after you don't have that buzz that, but yeah, I mean, we all have, you know, that bit of depression, bit of anxiety, um, you know, just that you, you can have those clouds do come over you. You know, I've never, I've been very lucky not, never to, to really have gone down the, taking any drugs. Um, you know, having the odd Marlboro light here and there, you know, is, is about as much. But, you know, drinking can get out of hand. You can start drinking every day, you know, getting on, you know, and you've got to curb that. You know, you sort of start with, you know, over Christmas it might, and then January you do a dry jan and try and break those cycles of, you know, I'm just going to have, you know, four or five weeks off it because it's easy to say, I can control it. I can give up whenever I want. Well, you can't. Well, prove it. Prove it to yourself. You know, you do. Those mental challenges are very important to say, do you know what? I'm not going to drink for this month. It's very easy. Oh, I've got my birthday. Oh, I've got that. Do. It's always excuses of why you can't do it. But you're like, oh, I could I could give up if I wanted. Yeah, all right. Okay. I don't gamble. I don't, you know, which is an addiction. You know, this... It's sad, really, because I think for a lot of people, yeah, it's very hard to replicate and, and crack on after you stop playing. Yeah. Um, uh, as difficult as it is. But again, that's something that should be addressed. People need help with that. It's very easy to, exactly, to, to just go down the wrong path and get involved with the wrong things, the wrong people. So you need that drive, set up that company, go and do something, get out. And, you know, the media, I went into Sky. So working for Sky was very important because you're still sort of, prominent but you've got a job to do so you still got to watch it so you got to know what you're talking about you're still doing live live pieces to camera you know getting in the studio was a big buzz I love that you know loved doing more for Sky doing a bit of talk sport you know so keeping yourself active and part of that is being on social media I realise that so if I do want to do TV stuff you've got to keep relevant you got to try and and I, I don't I don't like doing the social media but you do it because you know, I might say something on Twitter that talks what might go, oh, do you know what I mean? We'll ask John about that. You know, if something happens, I will ask John. If you're forgotten about, they don't go, Sky, oh, Sky, can you come and do the African Cup of Nations? You know, you might jog, you know, jog their memory somewhere. Some producer goes, oh, my, oh John Salah, because you're easily forgotten. You are yeah. so easily forgotten. Oh, where's he? You talk about somebody, oh, my God, yeah, remember him. Where's he now? What's he doing? It's like, who cares? But no one really cares. I think... I think that's one of the biggest things that I know is that in all honesty, no one cares. So you've got to look after yourself and you've got to have friends. You've got to have family and look after that and they'll look after you. And a lot of people who say things don't care about you. So don't bother with what they're saying because the people who don't care say all kinds of crap about you. You don't need to listen. The important people will never, you know, say, say bad things and they'll always be there for you. So your friends and your family, keep them tight, look after those and, then you know they can't hurt you. They're your shields. They're your, they're your armor. Definitely. They're your armor, and that keeps you sane. Having yeah. having those people. 
So working at TalkSport, Sky Sports, obviously people are seeing you on there still now. You, you've mentioned to me a few other projects that you've got lined mm. up, podcasts, potentially turn it into a show, and there's a few other things. What can we expect to see from you? What goals, ambitions have you got? Because look, you said about you're, mm. you're in your 50s, you know, you're looking very young still. You're looking very active. You mentioned to me out there, I'm going to stick it on you a little bit. Yeah. Maybe doing a boxing match. I'd love Maybe. to. I, I'd love to train yeah. and do and, and have a little tear up. The only yeah. thing is, I think I won't stop there. <laughs> no, but, do you know what? I think it's very important to be very positive and have a drive. And as I said to you, I think it's important to have dreams and ambitions and goals. And what are they for you? And, and, for and really, as I said, you know, I I can't believe I'm 53, but I'm thinking I'd still love. You know, I still think I've got uh, the passion, the knowledge. And the ability to do TV, I'd love to get back on one, you know, do more with Sky, you know, whoever it is, BT, you know, cover football. I, I just love football. It's it's in my blood. So I'd like to do more of that. Um, I'm involved in in a few other things, you know, sort of like my property, uh, you know, and I'm getting into NFTs, the next big thing. And I'm really excited about um, an exciting project with, with, a, with a trading platform called All Stars Traders, which turns footballers or sports stars into shares so it's like fantasy football means share trading and they're that's footballers great. yeah so i'm working with those guys that's fantastic and there's a there's a all stars trader digital side which is going to be in around doing nfts uh of 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 sporting sporting stars so legends icons um you know that that sort of thing so it's really exciting i mean it's it's blowing my mind when you start talking about bitcoin cryptocurrency ethereum you know, we sort of talk about metaverses and and people, but it's it, it's it's huge. It's huge. I think the the NFT market went through the four billion pound mark. You know, it just it went when people talk about it and uh, the possibilities. And again, it's growing and learning. The kids will all love this stuff. I didn't know about it till six months ago, and someone's like, "How did I not know about this? This is a this is there." And uh, you know, I'm sort of getting excited about doing it and. Uh, so just getting my teeth into stuff and it, you know, you know, obviously you want to sort of, you know, you've got, you've got to earn your corn. You, you know, you, we all want to make a few quid. Um, as I say, I think the, the, the wonderful thing about money is it buys you time and it gives you options. Um, but you want to do things that are interesting uh, and, and, you know, that keep you on your toes and, and, and keep, keep you stimulated. You, yeah. Keep you stimulated, getting you out of the, getting out of the house every day. Cause I think if you start, you know, sitting in the house too long and you start, you know, start wallowing and, and start, yeah. you know, then the clouds come over. So you do need to keep yourself motivated and excited and stimulate is a great word, you know, by doing interesting things and, and keeping involved, you know? And so it's exciting times. I'm looking forward to the next challenges in the next few years and yeah. Good. You know. <laughs> well, I've got to say, John, you've been a great guest, mate. Um, you come across so natural when you, when you talk as well, maybe it might be all, all those years, you know, doing it on Sky and TalkSport, etc. You're very easy to listen to. So thank you very much. I'll ask you one more question. When I started my own brand, my own company, when I was 24 years of age, I was very wet behind the ears. I went, you know, set up a company and I just went gung-ho into it. And I remember I just thought to myself, I need to keep everybody upbeat because all the people I mostly had working for me at the time were salespeople. And I thought to myself, right, how can I come up with a slogan and mantra for them to live by day to day where they keep on pushing on, keep them getting good sales, keep them positive and keep them motivated. And this is the slogan. It goes like this, be happy, never content. So if I were to ask you, John, 
<laughs> be happy, never content. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I think it's liking yourself. I think it's it's making sure that you're good and you're doing things that you enjoy doing and you've got good people around you. Uh, but you keep pushing. You keep pushing and asking a little bit more of yourself. I think, you know, there's always more in the tank. What what more can I do? How much better can I be? You know, for me, I think it's just trying to trying to be the best person I can every day, trying to push, you know, be the best father I can be, best brother. And, and I can always be a better son, you know, just just simple things. I need to see my mum, spend more time with my brothers and uh, my family, my sister, and and really try and, you know, try and make sure that I give my kids the best, you know, grounding and, and opportunities I can for them. So, you know, it's just keeping things simple, but it's get up. Oh, yeah, you get up early and try and work hard and be the best you can and, and keep pushing. That's great stuff, John. Thank you very much for your time. If you enjoyed this, uh, please give John a, a follow. Uh, please follow his journey. He's got some great stuff in the pipeline. If you like my podcast, subscribe, like, share it, all that good stuff. And remember to be happy and never condemn. Thank you very much, John. Pleasure. I forgot I'm writing the book as well, so look out for that. All right, lovely <laughs> stuff. <laughs>